Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of Community Services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, presenting informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host, and happy to be back here after a few weeks of hiatus. I certainly hope you enjoyed your summer. During the hiatus, I was a presenter at the Pioneer Network National Conference in Colorado. This year was the alliance between Pioneer Network and the Greenhouse Project, both founded on the inspiration of Dr. Bill Thomas. And I was really honored to read the foreword he wrote for my book, Dignity and Respect at the Conference. It was really a touching moment and the reading was followed by a book signing. After Pioneer Network, I traveled to San Diego to attend Greg Reed's Prosperity Camp. I met several thought leaders and high profile figures who shared stories that I am proud to be bringing to Senior Straight Talk in the upcoming weeks. As always, the library of all of the show episodes beginning from September 2019 can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel under the name Senior Straight Talk. And of course, they can be found on popular podcast platforms. And the show is syndicated on the Voice America Influencers channel. So please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. For those listeners who are in what I call SOS mode, stressed, overwhelmed, and stretched, I will be launching a new free caregiver distress recovery challenge in the upcoming months helping caregivers find a path to bringing much needed self-care into their daily routine. It features empathy, my registered trademark, which is akin to the inner game of empathy. It teaches strategies for my proprietary framework for self-care and self-kindness, self-compassion, and self-forgiveness. All strategies that will help you feel recharged, and re-energize as you face life's challenges, all of which can help you feel fab, look fab, and be fabulous you. Family members considering taking on the role of caregiver or those just beginning the caregiver journey can find valuable information in my course, A Caregiver's Guide to Caregiving the Basics. You'll be able to find information on the course once you click on the link for the free book offer on the Seniors Straight Talk host page. And you can also find information on the homepage of my website, phyllisamonassociates.com by clicking the link freeagingparentbook.com. Once you grab the free copy of Dignity and Respect, you'll find information on the Caregiver's Guide to Caregiving course and the valuable free bonuses that go along with it. My latest book chapter in WTF to OMG with a little LOL, Unpacking Life's Hidden Lessons, was released July 19th and became a number one Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller. It features my story about personal responsibility and self-care which led me to the work I do today. 
I'm honored to be featured a featured co-author alongside now three-time Wall Street Journal bestselling author David Corbin and many others. The ebook is now available on Amazon, but stay tuned for the paperback, which will be available in the weeks ahead. My previous book chapter released May 17th in Think Big is also available on Amazon. And it's my story, my big vision about my projects aimed at older adults and the value they have in our lives and in society. I'm very honored to be included in this book alongside the iconic and legendary Brian Tracy, entrepreneur Bob O'Dean, and many others. The book is published by Kyle Wilson, president of Jim Rohn International. So I hope you grab a copy of these books on Amazon. The many stories included in both books can inspire and motivate you in your business and positively impact your own personal development and growth. You can also get the paperback for Dignity and Respect or Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve on Amazon. The book addresses critical information about how we care for and treat our elder citizens in our families, our communities, in nursing homes, and assisted living residences across the country. And I'm honored that Dr. Bill Thomas wrote the foreword for the book. So I hope you'll get a copy and encourage your friends and colleagues to do the same. Your support is greatly appreciated. And I hope you will spread the word on this all important topic. Senior Straight Talk is proud of the collaborative partnership with the Pass It On Network, which is a global peer learning network for positive aging advocates and a member of the United Nations Open-Ended Working Group on Aging. Senior Straight Talk and the Pass It On Network continue bringing, bringing listeners informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And now I'd like to introduce today's guest, who was a guest on Senior Straight Talk several weeks ago as co-author of the book, Broken Promises, about the failure of the Veterans Administration in providing services to veterans with PTSD. And then he shared his personal journey from his harsh upbringing to his military experience and marriage to the realization that the difference he always felt inside was actually related to his homosexuality. But today, he is here sharing his journey to becoming a novelist, where he writes his characters to share lessons he learned from his personal journey, as well as a commentary on important social issues. So I'm proud to be bringing to you Jerry Stravey to Seniors Straight Talk once again. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. 
the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the host at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk. So Jerry, I am so thrilled to have you here again with me today. We were here last week um, and that was based on your personal journey and your family's journey, mm-hmm. uh, but you have another dimension to yourself, which is really cool. I alluded to it in the last episode, but I really wanted to spend more time talking about it. And that's your journey as a novelist. And you've written several books. Right. And, and I'd love to hear more about that, how you got on that path and what you think that's done for you. And, you know, we'll talk about some of the books as we go along. Okay, great. Sounds good. Well, um, the way it started out was um, I have always had this active imagination making up stories. In fact, when I, my children were very small, uh, I would sit on the edge of their bed and I took this uh, little dog that we called George. It was a stuffed animal. And it, could, it could fit in my hands and I could manipulate it almost you know, like a puppet. And what I would do is I would make up stories for them uh, when they were ready to go to bed at night, right? And so uh, that was a lot of fun and uh, they enjoyed it. And um, they actually, they remember it to this day. They remember the stories better than I do. <laughs> Funny. And I, in fact, they even tell their own children today a little bit about it. So um, I did never wrote down what I was thinking about, uh, what the stories that I made up in my head. It started basically, I, I really like history and I would go into history and I would, you know, insert myself into history maybe sometimes and make changes or change the characters, what they should have done in history and just make up other endings. See, that would have been cool if we could do that. <laughs> oh, yeah, wouldn't it? You know, like uh, the Outlander go back there. and. Uh, right. <laughs> so uh, that was always fun. And then uh, June 1st, 19, I beg your pardon, 2018, I had a uh, accident. I fell and I hit my head when I was uh, at the gym. And uh, while it never dis- didn't disable me, I was really limited in what I could do as far as work. And I would have to take breaks and I'd go for walks and I started making up the story. And the story just got better and better. And um, the thing that came to mind when I was walking one day was, you know, I've got to write this down. If I don't write this down, I'm going to forget it like everything else. So I, that day, and it was um, August 9th, 2018, I started writing. And I started writing. And uh, by December 5th that year, I had written 100,000 words, which is a good-sized novel. And I said, oh, great, let's do this. So I sent it to a friend of mine who was an editor. She sent it back, and she says, you know, this reads like Wikipedia. <laughs> I, like, oh, I, love it. I can kind of relate to that in my writing. I mean, it, it is writing is a journey, right? Writing is definitely a journey. Uh, yeah, and I knew nothing about writing, so and it showed. So... <laughs> I started on a little bit, but then, but then, you know, a little later into that, we were getting into the campaign for uh, president, and um, I um, started thinking, what if, what if I write another story? I, you know, I had gone back. The book, first one I wrote was called Braxton Century, and I, I had started writing it and was get, getting involved and convoluted, and then Hillary Clinton uh, was running for president, and I started thinking about, well, wow, what would happen if we had uh, and he was and Bill was be a, a you know a spouse. So I said, what if we had two guys? What if we had two guys? Now that had been written about, right? 
Uh-huh. People had written about having a gay president, but I thought, well, what if we wrote a, took a different angle and talked it from the spouse's perspective? Ah. So that's when I started writing First Spouse of the United States. I was about halfway through the book and Pete Buttigieg um, said he was forming a committee to run for president. I said, I better get off my keister and start writing this faster. So eventually I got to the point where I finished the book and I actually published it about two or three weeks before he announced for president, you know, which was a really big deal. Oh, yes. And that was really cool. And so I published it in 2019. And um, so that was my first published novel. Now, surprisingly, it was really a pretty good book. I, I mean, for the second one and first one published, and, and, and I had a lot of, I received a lot of good reviews. In fact, it's still selling um, every day, even today. Wow, that's very cool. And it hit the bestseller lists and uh, category of um, LGBT, political and intrigue, that kind of thing. And it's... Uh, usually stays in the top hundred of, in three different categories for Amazon. So that's kind of nice. So um, then I went back to Braxton Center. Oh, I think I, I think, we're frozen. I think we got, we're frozen there for a minute and I lost a few words. Can you just kind of like backtrack a little bit? You said, okay. and then. And then I wrote Braxton Century. Okay, there you go. But the interesting thing about this book is, uh, it was supposed to be one book. Well, I had learned how to write better. And because the story was so, it was an epic, really. I now am in my third volume of that Oh, book. wow. And there will be four volumes. I have published Faction Century Volume 1 and Volume 2. It's a, a story about a fictionalized, well, a fictional prince and Princess of Wales in 1860. I got rid of the Victorian royal family because they're not as much fun as my imagination. And, uh, <laughs> and I had a message uh, in the book, oh. a message not far off from what I wrote in um, First Spouse of the United States. And it deals with uh, sexuality, uh, both uh, homosexual and heterosexual and personalities and what they go through. And there, there's a lot of messages and that kind of thing going and on. I, I think you had said that in a conversation we had before about right. that, that most of your books convey some kind of message. It's about, um, you know, giving people, you know, pause for thought, um, you know, in addition to a message, you know, maybe apply it to their own lives and, um, mm -hmm. you know, find meaning in it. Right. For instance, the sex in these books is not graphic at all. It's anything a young adult could read, really. But the message crosses all ages. And the message is it's across all ages. And I try to bring in a perspective from both elements and, and try to keep it real. So volume two, I published January of last year. And volume three, I'll be part, yeah, volume Big part. Volume two, I published in August of last year. Volume one was in January of last year. So that's going pretty good. Nice thing is people are continuing on with the series. I've been getting a lot of feedback saying, hurry up, do another one. So oh, I that's same, very cool. Yeah. And I get the same reaction on uh, First Spouse of the United States. So right now I'm writing POTUS Down, which is the sequel to First Spouse of the United States. And I'm a, almost halfway through. I'll finish it probably the end of August or in September and, and then publish it. Um, 
next year, February, March, something like that. So, you know, why I, I find this so interesting, as I said, writing is a journey. Um, my writing, I think, started out much more academic, uh, especially since I come from this healthcare environment and it, you know, it, it was more about describing a patient or a resident or, you know, a situation and, and more, you know, healthcare related terminology, right? Um, but I've noticed that um, since I started writing my blog, I had started one a couple of years ago and then I abandoned and started writing uh, another one. And uh, my friend who reads all of them before I, I um, send them out into the universe, right? She right. has noticed a, a big change in my writing. Um, and I, and I, I believe, you know, people are starting to respond to me. They're saying that they enjoyed it. Um, can they receive more of them? And I, so writing, someone very wise once said to me, writing is rewriting, but it's not just, you know, rewriting, I don't think for looking at the grammar or a better way of saying something. I think it really is a journey and that your writing style as you progress changes um, and you could reach your audience in different ways. I, I believe I don't have the ability to write like novels and, and descriptions of characters. I don't think so. I've never tried it. Um, that's a different talent, I think. What do you think about that? I totally agree. Uh, with you that it is a different a talent and it takes um, a lot of practice to learn how to do it. No, but And I found that if I submerge myself into that persona, that person that I'm writing about at the time, things come to life. Okay. So you have to really personally engage and you have to um, think if the shoe is on the other foot, and you have to anticipate how someone else in the novel might react to what you're saying. And so a lot of my writing is dialogue. And then when I have challenges, bringing, out, bringing it out into the dialogue so that it would be, be efficient and sound reasonable, real. Um, I write, I have to, my characters sometimes write letters. In Braxton Century Volume 1, lots of letters volume two lots of letters not so many in volume three right now that i'm writing and then another way to do it is to go into their thoughts now i try not to overwhelm the reader with too many people thinking i usually limit it to my protagonist and have them thinking to set things up and i do not spend a lot of time having the narrator narrate if you will <laughs> or, or, or describe things because i want it to come from my characters. characters right yeah and i want to have the catharsis so that the reader feels what's going on and gets emotionally engaged you know i work sometimes at having them empathize with my character right hate my character or um saying what are they thinking kind of thing so the idea is have them think for themselves uh, pose situations and don't finish maybe not finish a scene or a situation but leave it dangling and go on to another one mm -hmm. so um that's kind of how i do it so the reason why i think this is such a relevant topic besides learning about you and all these different aspects of you and you were you did 
you were a co-author in this book that's uh, The Broken Promises, which is a different kind of book. Um, But I think that this could be an important outlet for older adults, especially, who have so much experience and wisdom to share. And, um, you know, in some cases, they don't have anybody listening. In some cases, um, you know, even if they express themselves, people are, you know, they intentionally aren't listening, you know, is a difference between having nobody listening because there's nobody in your midst and having people in your midst, but they're just not paying attention because you're quote unquote, an older person and they don't think you have anything to share. Right. And I think this could be of such value for people. And that's why I'm interested in like how you go about this process, thinking about the next person, because I think for many older adults, I can't say for everyone, but as people age, they become more empathetic, more understanding. They see things from different points of view because of their own experiences. And so I'm thinking that this could be a great vehicle for people to, even as a legacy kind of thing, to write the story of their life, but not like as a biography, but as a story with a life lesson. What do you think? Well, first of all, I think you're right on. Uh, You know, through the centuries, people have written letters. And, you know, I think it was like Benjamin Franklin used to spend three hours a day on correspondence. Okay. Now, how many people, and for centuries, people have written journals and diaries. Correct. So it's always been an outlet for people. So for people of our generation, I would think journalizing, writing a journal, just writing down your thoughts is a great therapeutic way, a therapeutic uh, uh, tool and can really serve as an outlet if if nobody's listening. Right. And that takes me to writing, then on to writing books. Like I said earlier, I said, I have to write this down or I'm going to forget it. Right. And journaling, writing books is a way for you to explore your own mind, your own emotions, your own feelings. And what you say about life experiences, I could not write these novels without a lot of life experience. Okay. Some people say, well, how did you think this out? Or how did you think that? Says, well, it just brought my life and my experiences and things that I've read uh to focus on this book and what is a, one of the great serendipities of this is particularly in first spouse of the united states when i read the reviews that came out they were so enlightening and mm. revealing to me that what i had said had touched a nerve but not only had it touched a nerve but it touched nerves in different ways different ways for different people people Different people got different things out of what I had written, and I learned from their feedback. Hmm. Interesting. So, definitely therapeutic for me, and uh, has expanded my thinking. I'm certainly more empathetic and more aware and more conscious of others and what they're going through, and, and I try to relate in my writing. So I'm thinking that, uh, you know, one of my favorite films, and every time I go to say it, I don't remember the name of it, which is ridiculous because it is one of my favorite films. Like, it's like a block, right? As soon as I go to say it, I say, what's the name of it? Um, You're not going to leave us hanging here, are you? I, I, I listen, maybe you could draw my memory. It's happened. I've been on podcasts talking about it and the 
the person, you know, the host will say, oh, that's, I know the film, I'll tell you the film. It's with uh, Robin Williams and um, Ben Affleck. And um, it's about, Jim. Uh, oh my goodness gracious, I can't even, this is, this is terrible that I'm going to say it and I can't remember it because it's very poignant for me. So Robin Williams is with, um, help me out here, Jerry. <laughs> Uh, he's sitting in the Bo Boston Gardens, actually, and um, and he's talking to the character who's a troubled uh, kid. And um, no, it's not Dead Poets Society. It is what's the uh, the film that um, Ben Affleck did with? Um, oh my goodness! Look it up. You'll find it. He's a psychologist. Um, it's not goodwill hunting, is it? Thank you. Thank you. Every time I go to say it, I can't remember it. It's the craziest thing. But anyway, he's sitting in the park with him, the Boston Gardens. And, and the, I went to school for my undergraduate degree in Boston, right by the Boston Gardens. So it, you know, I kind of have a connection. But this is what struck me about it, this line. And um, so here is, uh, you know, the character and he's reciting Keats and Kipling and you name it, right? And um, Robin Williams says to him, you know, those are just words. You're just spewing things, whatever, you know, wording he uses as the character. You're just saying things that you read in books, but you really don't know anything about what those words mean or what's behind those words because you don't have that life experience. And, um, I use that as an example many times because, you know, it's only the older adult or, you know, even a mature adult, 40s, 50s, you know, once you have that life experience, your perspective changes. And even if it's the same words you say, there's a difference between it coming from a place of experience, right? Um, and just reading words on a page. And so that's why I'm thinking that for many adults, this could be such a valuable tool mm -hmm. to well, share yeah. their legacy through a story or an experience. You know, another thing to think about too is the fact there are old souls out there who are in their 20s. That's that true. Have, that is true. Amazing, I've met some. They have an amazing understanding of life in general. But back to your point about senior citizens, uh, writing or anybody writing, I find that you need to be in the groove when you're writing. Your consciousness level um, needs to be at a very high level. You need to be vibrating at a very high level to be able to fully develop what you're trying to convey and at the same time keep your mind open to any other messaging that you might get. Because in our mind, and I don't know how, what your listeners feel about this, but I believe that there's a, we're all part of a universe and there's a lot of messaging going on all the time. And if we're open to it, it'll be revealed to it to us. And I think old souls are a perfect example of when that happens. Uh, I and agree. I have to be in the zone when I'm writing. And sometimes I'm not. And when I'm not, I go look at that stuff and I go, this is junk. And I have to focus. I have to go back and think about, okay, what do I need to do here? To get in the zone, sometimes you're just you're just not physiologically in that at that place, and you just okay. I'll come back to that. 
sometimes what I'll do is I'll go back into things that I've already written in that book or, you know, the you know, book in progress. And that'll help warm me back up. You know, I'll start getting back to where I was when I was writing other things. So it's a, it's a very high consciousness level when you're writing, if you want to be effective. So it's interesting you say that because I have a similar experience, even though I'm not writing in that space, that creative space, you know, um, I could um, be thinking about writing a book for a long time. I could, you know, say I have an idea what the book is going to be about. And I can't really, um, can't really start really. Even my blogs, I can't really get going. And then one day I'll say, oh my gosh, I've got it. And then I could sit down and write the whole thing. Same thing with my blog. Sometimes I say, what am I writing about this week? And then I say, oh my gosh, I got that. And then I could sit down and two hours later, I have a blog. So I think there's something to be said for flow, being in the zone and um, you know, tapping into that part of yourself. It doesn't matter what style of writing, but tapping into that style of, of uh, that side of yourself that allows your your feelings, your emotions, your ideas to to come through, right? Yes, and one of the things that really helps me a lot is, first of all, I rarely have writer's block. I just have very little clarity sometimes. And what I'll do is go for a walk. Hmm. So let's say I've been writing for an hour or two. Whether or not I have clarity or I block or not, I just stop, okay? Because sometimes you're so consumed with your own, the focus that you're in that you actually subconsciously start tuning out anything else that might be trying to get out. Right. And sometimes I just have to stop and say, okay, let's go for a walk. And before now, I'm ready to get off that walk and get back and just start typing, okay? And so the... Some people, it may be just sitting in their garden and thinking, or it may be um, turning on the TV. It could be anything. All right. right. Find that space. And, uh, and don't let yourself get beat up because you're not progressing at that moment. There's something going on, and it's trying to get out, and you just need to find a way to release it. This you know, there. before we go to break, I'm just going to say, uh, comment on that very thing. You know, we have a tape going on in our head all the time. You know, they say there may be between 60 and 80,000 thoughts that we have a day, 90% of them are negative, but it's like a subliminal tape that's always going on. And, and you're, uh, working, you're working all along at that time. Correct. Because I notice when I'm writing and when I'm thinking and everything like that, I'm exhausted. Right, exactly. It's a good exhaustion. Yeah. I, I agree. And so, so I liken it to, you know, when, when I, I'm not in that flow. I probably have, you know, put that information in that tape and mm -hmm. it's running in the background. And mm -hmm. then it gets to that point of that aha moment. And then it just spews. But we're going to take a short break on Senior Straight Talk, sp sponsored by Phyllis Amen Associates. And we'll be right back to continue talking about writing and legacy and creativity. So we'll be right back with Jerry Stravey on Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk, sponsored by Phyllis Amon Associates. I'm here with Jerry Stravey, a novelist um, and a really interesting person that I've interviewed several times now. And we left off Jerry talking about, um, you know, flow and getting connected to yourself and, um, you know, what writing can do for you. So do you have thoughts on that? Yes, I want to talk a little bit about, you brought up negativity. 
And uh, just don't want to say a word or two about that. Sure. Negativity, like you said, great percentage of our thoughts are negative. I have found that negativity stifles growth in all areas of our life. And it's particularly bad in your writing because people feel your spirit, uh, be it one-on-one, -on -one, be it in a meeting like we're having now or any, any situation. And people are repulsed by negativity. It's a natural thing. It's an, uh, part of who we are. Ex now, there are, of course, people who just love negative and they're kind of in a bad place and that's their comfort zone. And that's too bad because just a bad place to be. So the best way, I, in my opinion, to address negativity is, and we've heard it a hundred times, is be grateful. Start finding yourself going down that rabbit hole negativity. Start giving thanks verbally or mentally or whatever. List everything you're thankful for. And I know it sounds pretty pedantic and a little bit sophomore, but you know, it works and it's basic and it's essential that we not be negative because it will reflect in our physical and mental health. And um, it's a killer. Absolutely. And I find myself, you know, of course there, there's, you know, there are ways of going about it. People say, and I do in my course also talk to about, you know, making a grateful statement every morning. I believe it's Oprah who credits having a gratitude journal for her success. And she used to open her curtains every morning and make, you know, one or three gratitude statements, things she's grateful for, including just maybe the sunshine or getting up that morning. Um, right. It's also a good thing to do before you go to bed because you're kind of embedding these positive thoughts in your subconscious. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're, drifting off to sleep with, with, you know, positive energy. But I find myself throughout the day, it could be something very simple, um, making grateful statements. It could be something as simple like, oh, I'm so grateful I found this parking spot. I mean, it just changes your mental right. Right. outlook, right? right? Yes, parking karma. <laughs> so one, one thing that I do is I send up, prayers and good thoughts for people, other people. When you focus on other people, that tends to, uh, I think, um, actual, actually your soul in a positive direction. And so even people that I am not happy with, or maybe am in a negative relationship with, I send out these good vibes and invariably it has a positive effect. So I would encourage people like uh, if you've got someone, you have a situation and just, you know, try to say good things about them or think good things or wish them the best. Uh, don't be dismissive. Don't be arrogant or all that, but don't internalize it for crying out loud. Don't internalize their issues. But I find that hugely helpful for me. And one of my uh, manifestations is to think positive uh, thoughts about everyone with whom I am in contact. I think that's a beautiful thing. And it's, it's so easy not to do that. Right. Not, yeah, of course. It's easier to give, you know, talk dirt. Right. <laughs> kind of fun, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, somebody said to me recently, a, a, a pretty smart person um, that I was quote unquote complaining about somebody. Right. And, and um, 
how things were progressing. And the person said to me, and, and it's had me think very differently, listen, just think like that's there, like they have a wart or they have something wrong with them. And you would just, you wouldn't dwell on it, would you? Right. Say, gee, you right. know, that's just, right. they have that wart. Isn't that terrible? And, and move it along. Don't internalize it. It's just what you're saying. And I have found that I'm starting to do that. And it's changing how I feel about myself. Yeah, because the only person you're really hurting is yourself if you don't. Correct. I think it was, wasn't it, um, since you you love history, wasn't it Richard Nixon who made a very profound statement about hate after his resignation? It was something like, um, when you hate other people, you only wind up, you only wind up hating yourself or something. It's a, it's a famous, um, it's a famous quote from Richard Nixon. Okay. And it was, I believe it was after his resignation. It was very powerful, mm -hmm. uh, but it's true. It's just what you're saying, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. True. Absolutely. You so know, another thing you, mentioned, another thing you mentioned was uh, about people, as we age, we become more empathetic and more compassionate. And I think that's very true. Um, and I'm not, there's so many different reasons that happens. I guess it's really not important, but it is significant that it does happen. And I certainly feel that I am less judgmental and more comfortable with myself uh, the older I get. And also forgiveness. First one, you have to forgive yourself or not judge your own self. Um, that's gonna, that takes such a burden off. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Didn't we talk about this um, the last time about being your own best friend? If you think mm -hmm. about what you would say to a friend, if they're in a situation, try saying that to yourself and you yeah. will find yourself shifting your own, you're shifting your own narrative and then mm -hmm. shifting your own feeling about yourself. And that does get you to self-forgiveness. You know, when we find ourselves criticizing ourselves, because we're all our own worst critic, right? stop and then go back and look for the things that you like about yourself and the, uh, situation just disappears you know you move on with what your day yeah because we have a lot more that we could think about about ourselves that's positive it could be something simple you know i tell people um smile at yourself in the mirror in the morning mm -hmm. and when you see don't think of that you're smiling see the reflection of somebody a smiling face smiling back at you right right and you right. go Oh my God, you can't help but smile. It does, it uplifts your I like spirit. That. Yeah. Yeah. It really uplifts your spirit. Yeah. So I, I wanted to talk to, uh, to you, and you mentioned also about one of your other books. Um, you wanted to talk about that? Yes. Well, I'll talk about all of them if you want me to. Yeah. So uh, the, I wrote um, a short story, and the, the short story... It's called Vainglorious. And Vainglorious is, I wrote the short story to be in a competition. And the competition, you could only write 4,000 words. Well, I wrote 6,000 and my work was rejected. And interestingly, it didn't really upset me that much because I said, okay, now what other opportunity is there for this? Now, Vainglorious is a, about a character that I really grew to admire. It's nice when you create something you admire, right? <laughs> and uh, I, I created uh, this uh, very strong woman in Braxton Century Volume 1. 
There was no place to talk about her story in great detail because it would have taken everyone out of the story. All right. So I wanted to say a lot about this person because she was a an amalgam of other strong women I have known in my life and who had been through great difficulty. And so it was a lot of fun writing Vainglorious. In fact, if you go to my website, you can actually download it for free. Oh, cool. Um, I have used um, that book as giveaways in uh, promotions that I've used and it's been wi widely accepted and, I, and it, it's, I really like her. So um, what, is, what is the website that people can go to to get the book? www.jrstravey and Stravey spelled S-T-R-A-Y-V-E then jr.com. So it's www.jrstraveyjr.com. Right. Stravy like gravy. I remember you told yeah, me. Yeah, spelled different than gravy, but it sounds like the same. So then there was another book called The Lieutenant and the Vintner. And this is a novella. I had planned on making that book uh, a novel, but I was so still caught up in uh, sequels for my other two books that I decided, okay, I'll keep this short. And it's a romance and it takes place in Burgundy, France during World War II. And so I think it's, it's worth reading. It's worth reading. Um, mm. One of the reasons that I think it's worth reading is because the feedback I received from my readers was, you were telling the story and during the entire story, all I was doing was thinking about the characters, thinking about situations, even though they hadn't found themselves in the situation, they were just so able to connect with it. So it's called The Lieutenant and the Vintner. And uh, it's an interesting read. So uh, what, how would you say a novella, although I, I believe I know, but for listeners who might not know, the difference between a novella and a novel, uh, what, what classifies something as a novel? Um, if people were going to start, where would you recommend they start? I'm, I'm thinking just intuitively that if I started thinking, oh my God, I'm going to write a novel, it would just be an overwhelming thought. So it might be better to start with a short story. Um, how would you differentiate the short story from the novella from the novel? Okay. Short stories. Short stories. <laughs> short stories uh, are the best way to go. They're short stories. Uh, you're not putting a lot of pressure and you're just having an opportunity to write something that comes to mind and just do it. Just write it. Now, when you write, keep writing. Don't stop writing. Go back and correct. Don't do edits and everything. Just write, 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 write. Okay. Because you're in the flow. You're in the zone. You can go back and fix it. A short story in I would say would be anywhere from 2,500 to 10,000 words. Mm, okay. Um, and you figure there's a 250 to 300 words on a page. So, it's, you know, it's not very long, right? So let's say 2,500 to, is there's 1,500 word short stories. I mean, that's not, a, you know, that, that happens. But anyway, just write, write the short story and do several of them. Get in the habit of writing. Now, a novella, well, okay, let me backtrack here a little bit. A novel should be at least, in my opinion, 80,000 words, okay? 100,000 words 
is really reaching the limit on a novel because a lot of people just don't want to pick up a big project and read it. Right. Now they've got novels out there that are a couple hundred thousand words. All right. But they're intimidating. Instead right, of right. writing, a, like for instance, when I wrote Braxton Century Volume 1, it was 100,000 words. And that would have been a very thick book. So I decided, okay, I will write a series. Well, that series now is going to be four books of 80,000 words. Wow. Okay. See, like I can't even imagine that. Yeah, but you eat, let's say, eat an elephant. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? Right, exactly. Exactly. So right now I'm writing POTUS Down. And I am 36, about 36,000 words into it. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching the halfway mark for the 80,000. And when I'm writing, I give myself the number of words I want to write today. It might be 500, it might be 1,000, it might be 2,000, or how many words do I want to write over a week period? For instance, my schedule right now is 6,000 words a week, okay? I am 4,000 words into it this week, okay? And I'm, but I'm not, and I've only got a day or two left, but I, but I don't pressure myself on it because I don't want that goal I have to limit my thinking. Uh, I don't want to put words on just to keep score. So right. you have to think about those things. So what I would do is write some short stories and then, okay, then write a novella. So what's, so how many words in, in like a novella that would be, you know, characterize if you were going to a publisher and you would want to say listen i have a novella about what is the criteria about Twenty-five thousand. okay all right but it can be less it can be more but about twenty-five thousand. so uh, what what it you know fundamentally from a, a a blueprint point of view is the difference between a novella and a novel. I guess it's like asking what's the difference between a symphony and a concerto or something, right? Okay, I'll give you two examples. I, I, I'll give you examples. Um, I'll start with a short story. The short story usually is very succinct and it's going to cover, it's not gonna have a lot of subplots, probably none. Uh, it's going to, focus primarily on one person or one event and there's not an opportunity for a lot of character development but there is a lot of opportunity for telling the story okay now when you get to a novella you have more words you have more opportunity to tell more but by the same token don't get distracted by side stories and subplots you can have a couple of them in there but they better serve a purpose okay mm -hmm. um for instance in um lieutenant in the vintner i have two characters it is important in the story that you know the backstory to this novella but i don't spend a lot of time on it and it comes up in different ways throughout the story to add texture so again it's longer, it's a little more complicated than a short story, but it is not convoluted at all. It stays on target, okay? Stays on subject. As opposed to where I'm writing POTUS down right now, I've got four characters in there that have all kinds of things going on, all right? I've got more than four characters, but I have four main characters in there that really have a lot of things going on. And therefore, I have a lot of time to develop them as 
to develop them as characters. I have a lot of time for subplots that are going on in there and ancillary things, but of course they all have to rate, they all have to relate. Now, remember when I told you when I wrote Vainglorious from Braxton Century Volume 1 and I did not write about that woman? Right. Because that I would have ended up overdoing it. You uh -huh. need to know, you can't confuse your reader. You, have you ever like read a novel and there wasn't a list of characters in the book and you got totally lost? You couldn't figure out who was who? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Don't, like, don't let that happen. People will put the book down. Right. All right. So I hope that helps. Absolutely. Anything else you want to add before we um, before we finish this glorious yes. conversation? Yes, I had a, a change in my writing. Um, and we talked about it in a, a previous interview, but I just want to mention it briefly here was I write fiction, okay? That's primarily what I do. But I had an opportunity. Someone asked me to write, co-author a book with them, a nonfiction book. I had never written nonfiction, wasn't interested in writing nonfiction, but I felt that there was an opportunity to give back in writing this book. And that book is called Broken Promises. You mentioned it earlier. Right. And this book outlines, it's a whistleblower book about compromised mental health care for PTS veterans within the uh, VA Vet Center program. So I felt that there was a very important message to get out there, several very important messages. It talks about whistleblowing, talks about PTSD, talks about the counseling and therapy, talks about uh, horrific things that happened, consequences that uh, came about as a result of actions that people took that they never should have taken and they refused to correct it and how they other people were so damaged. But it also addresses the good things that were involved in the process and opportunities for people in the process and how to fix the situation on and on and on. So for me, it was therapeutic, very therapeutic because I, I had um, grown up in a household where PTSD was a real issue. And so I was able to relate. So I was able to take some of my life experiences and take the experiences of my co-author and what he had gone through as a whistleblower and he himself is personally uh, suffers from PTSD. And I, I had the opportunity to take all that and put it together in a, in a book that has turned out to be um, my bestseller today. Oh, cool. So it came, out, just, came out June 15th. Yes, I'll just ask you one last question about that. Was, was it difficult to make the shift from fiction to nonfiction? It's a different kind of writing, as I talked about in the beginning, in terms of my own writing. Well, yeah, I had to tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't make stuff up. Yeah, but uh, wait, wait, I have a question about that. But even... Well, because I was telling a story, a true right, story. But even in writing fiction, this is interesting. Uh, it's just a thought that came into my head. Just tell me if, if it makes any sense. You, it would be interesting to write characters that do tell the truth and characters that don't tell the truth. And if you have that experience, can't you translate that into nonfiction? I don't think so. Not if you are trying to Okay, it's important, particularly in this book, that the truth be told so that people could relate to 
real life and know for a fact that circumstances that were described were real. These are how situations were dealt with. And this is how things worked out. So you don't want to have a Pollyanna or a wishful thinking kind of approach. It, it just had to be real. And part of the reason in this nonfiction book was we have wanted to have a call to action based on reality. As a matter of fact, we have legislation, as you know, pending in the United States Congress and in the House of Representatives that directly addresses this very real situation so that it never happens again. So I couldn't fictionalize anything. Right. Um, and another issue would have been liability. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. But one thing I did have that did help me having written fiction and really gotten deep into characters was I was able to more effectively, effectively relate the circumstances people experienced by after conducting 30 interviews, right. bringing those interviews to life. Because you can't write every word that's in the uh, interviews, but I had to tell the story. So I had to um, compile things and put them you know, in a format so that the story was told and I was able to um, highlight the major, the major issues involved. Make, makes sense. Well, this has been terrific, Jerry. Um, I just, uh, thanks so much for, you know, for sharing your time. I know your time is um, pretty, uh, pretty tight. Your schedule's pretty tight. Not only your writing schedule, but other things that you do. And um, I love what you said about developing a habit about, uh, of writing. I don't have a habit of writing um, and I'm going to take that and try. I've heard that before. Put it on your calendar. And put it on my calendar. This is it something- It can be like a half hour or an hour or whatever. Yes. And then if you don't do it, I hope you feel real guilty. Right. <laughs> uh, that's part of my culture anyway. So that works well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one helpful thing too is if I get my 6,000 words written a week and I get it done by Wednesday, I don't feel the pressure to have to um, keep that appointment every day of the rest of because right. more than likely I've spent more time than I had planned each day doing it. And it, I need to pick up some things that maybe I've dropped through or what have you. But again, set your own thing. Maybe it's a thousand words a day. Maybe it's 500. And if you don't like it, for instance, I'm only at 4,000 right now. And I don't know that I'm going to finish the last two because I'm like right. sure we have busy schedules. But I'm not going to beat myself up. I'll catch up later. Don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah, I just, um, well, I, I kind of, like I said earlier, kind of write from being in the zone. And mm -hmm. once I start, it's like anything I'm doing, it's like I can't get up from it. Um, I don't want to get up from it. And um, so yep. that's how I've written my last two books, actually all three books. Um, mm -hmm. I just, um, I sat for six weeks or seven weeks or eight weeks, whatever it was. And I just wrote them and, um, got to do what works best for you. Right. I suppose. Right. So anyway, thanks, Jerry. This has been super great. And, um, so please join me on the next episode of senior straight talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And it's been wonderful having Jerry Stravey here with me the last two weeks. I've loved it. I hope the listeners, I hope you've loved it as well and got some insights, um, that you can, um, you can use to, 
um, help motivate you and inspire you to maybe share some of your own stories because I know you have lots of them. We all do, right? So this is Phyllis Amon signing off for today. Please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.